Hello and welcome to Scotland Matters, the Scottish Land and Estates podcast. I'm Carmen McPherson, Membership Communications Manager at SLE. In this episode, you'll hear Sarah-Jane Lang, our Chief Executive, and Simon Ritchie, Press and Public Affairs Manager, as they discuss the new programme for government announced by Humza Yousaf, Scotland's First Minister, on the 5th of September. So let's go straight to SJ and Simon and find out the highlights and low points for the new term at Holyrood. So Simon, you and I are here today to, to chat through the programme for government for the next year and what that means for um, rural businesses, what it means for Scottish Land and Estates members. But before we launch into that, I suppose we better explain a little bit about what the programme for government actually is. I think in this context, it's two things, really. Programme for Government is an annual statement every September by the First Minister of Scotland in which they set out their legislative agenda. So what bills are going to be coming down the line? What strategies and policies and consultations are going to be coming down the line in the next 12 months? So it's kind of a kind of a check-in on the, the party's manifesto commitments and a kind of an update in that sense. But the second thing it is, particularly for Hamza Yusuf, it's his first one. So this was Hamza Yusuf's opportunity to set out his stall as First Minister. So you've got the, the two parts there to it. There's the, the side of it that's the, the almost the equivalent of the King's Speech in Parliament at Westminster. And then there's this opportunity for Hamza Yusuf to really set out his stall after what was, to be fair to him, a really challenging start for a range of reasons. Yeah, and I suppose there's also two elements or two or more elements of, of the actual programme for government announcement. There's the the policy document that people like you and I and others kind of pour over um, all the detail. And there's a speech from the First Minister that accompanies that. And I think it's fair to say that this year we saw a change in tone. So we did hear an awful lot from the First Minister about pulling together for Team Scotland. Yeah. We also heard an awful lot of positive messages um, from a Scottish Land and Estates point of view in terms of economic growth, well-being economy, rural businesses having mm-hmm. a part to play in things. That's not something we've heard um, in the last few years, certainly. So what are your reflections on that? Well, I agree with that. And I think it was notable, wasn't it, when uh, Hamza was on his feet talking on Tuesday, the number of references to growth and then pouring through that that document, the geeky document, the, the detail of it, um, as we did, the number of mentions to growth and economic growth and and industry were surprising because that's not something that we've had much of from Hamza in recent months or indeed from to be fair to Hamza we've not heard it from the Scottish government for a few years now there's that sort of deprioritization of of, it feels like anyway of business and of industry so it feels sort of new and it feels encouraging and positive the devil will be in the detail of course but it's interesting when you consider why or what's behind that change in the statement? Was it pressure from industry or was it the fact that the government in so many ways is running out of money to deliver the services it needs to deliver? Or was it pressure from the Labour Party, who's now under Keir Starmer at London and Anas Sarwar in Holyrood talking increasingly about growth and growing the economy? I'm not sure. Perhaps you have a different view or or something that you'd add to that or disagree on SJ, but I think it's probably a combination of all those things. I think you're absolutely right. I don't think there's one single reason that we saw this shift in narrative. You know, you, you mentioned there the the commitment to economic growth, and I and I do feel a, a shift from the Scottish Cabinet, which isn't just about 
I suppose, you know, they're, they're not just looking for a, the take, the, the tax take. Mm-hmm. It is actually about um, building opportunity for business growth, uh, building opportunities for entrepreneurs to allow the economy to grow in its totality rather than sort of saying, how can we continue with what we've got, but get more out of it, which is kind of what we felt that yeah. we saw under the previous administration. Yeah. So it felt very much about, you know, what can we get from businesses? That's what we had before. And now it's how do we work with businesses mm-hmm. to deliver a, a much more bright future for Scotland? And Hamza talks about, the, you know, his three main, main areas of equality, opportunity and community. And it did feel that the business community has been sort of finally recognised within that community banner because it hasn't felt like that up to date. No, I think that's fair to say. And and it's certainly not something new for us to comment on. That's That has been a frequent refrain in many of our more negative criticisms of the government that we've kind of felt that business and, and rural business specifically has kind of felt a bit taken for granted and a bit put upon. And of course, we brought out a report earlier this year on our contribution to state's contribution rather to the the well-being economy in Scotland which is of great importance to Hamza Youssef personally and to his government and having brought the well-being economy right up to cabinet level I think we were able to demonstrate exactly what our sector contributes to Scotland's well-being economy so it's things like 2.4 billion pounds gross value added every year uh, hosting the vast majority of Scotland's renewable onshore energy potential uh, providing you know domestic visits and and basically delivering for people jobs and nature. So I think there's perhaps a sense that that's been taken for granted. So our job at SLE, of course, has been to kind of quantify that and highlight it and bring it to people's attention. And and I know that we're one voice of many, but hopefully, I do feel encouraged that perhaps our our lobbying, our talking, our engaging, which we've been trying really hard to kind of push perhaps be making an impact and feeding into that overall kind of influence upon Hamza Youssef and his government and his his team in terms of that change that we've heard this week. Yeah, it certainly feels like that, as you say, that you're kind of seeing the impact um, in terms of influencing, maybe not in some specific areas that we'll kind of come to, hmm. but definitely in terms of that kind of general tone. And before we get into some of the uh, specifics, Simon, I think hmm. it's maybe worth reflecting on a couple of other areas. And, and I suppose the first one is, the lack of surprises. I think it's fair to say that, you know, there have been a good few years where the programme for government announcement hasn't been my favourite day of the year at SLE. We've seen, you know, some last minute announcements, whether that was the rent and eviction freeze, whether it was mountain hair legislation. But we've also seen some pretty, pretty combative language from the First Minister over the last few years when she'd been um, introducing land reform bills and other pieces of legislation. We didn't see that this year, so we had no real surprises um, in terms of the things that affect our members. And we didn't have that emotive language in those areas. We saw lots of emotion from the First Minister about you know how much he wants to tackle poverty, how much he wants to deliver in terms of childcare. But we didn't see the, I have to be honest, we didn't see the anti-rural language that, mm-hmm. that was quite a feature I felt from some of the, the previous program for government announcements. Yeah I think that's fair. I think the only surprise for me about the program for government statement was how little was in it. That was a surprise. There was no you know surprise bill or consultation being brought forward. 
clearly we knew a lot of what's coming down the pipeline. We know that there's an ag bill coming, an agriculture bill. We know that there's a, a land reform bill coming, various other things like that, a housing bill and so on. What we perhaps might have expected from the Programme for Government statement was a little bit more detail or an announcement that they were going to go further or include or omit certain things from those bills or get a bit more information on the timing. There was none of that. It was actually extraordinary how policy light the Programme for Government was this year. That's my take. I think you're absolutely spot on. And, and I, I know when we were kind of poring over the documents, we kept thinking, have we missed something? Yeah. Because normally... Um, the programme for government or moves the thinking on in terms of the things that we know about already. So bills that we knew were in progress, as you say, that the Ag Bill, Land Reform Bill and others, the programme for government would n- usually give us a little bit more detail on what that bill would uh, would in, um, entail. But no, there's there's nothing there. So there was there was no surprises for us mm. as, as an organisation. And, and, you know, maybe we're being, I, I felt a little bit underwhelmed yeah. At some point, but in a good way, if I can kind of put it, if there's if there's a positive slant on that, that yeah. it you know, comforted that we knew this, we knew it was coming, and it would appear that we're maybe going to head into some of these bills in a slightly uh, more positive mindset from the Scottish government. One would hope, um, and hopefully this is the them starting to do do less better, because um, it does feel the last couple of years from a sort of rural business perspective, that the sector has been almost under siege with such a huge plethora of legislation and regulation and announcements and consultations and we're going to change this and we're going to change that and we're going to regulate this and we're going to regulate that. It does feel like everywhere you turn in rural Scotland that there's there's been something that the government's trying to kind of mess with, for, for better or for worse, but nothing, you know, when you consider the economic context, the UK economy, Scottish economy, really kind of struggling, the tax receipts shrinking, the cost of the delivery of services, core services to the government has just shot up. So hopefully, you know, with all that, maybe they are, you know, just not trying to, they weren't trying to pack too much into the to the statement, but it did kind of read um, the statement and, and reading through the, the, the more detailed document, it was more a list of confirming stuff we already knew confirming we confirm that we'll bring forward a land reform bill we confirm that we'll bring forward a housing bill um, yeah. we already knew we already knew they were already in the beat house agreement they were already some of lots of these were already in, already in last year's program for government the other thing that i would say that i thought was missing now we talked about delivering for people jobs and, and nature it does feel quite light in terms of progressing our journey towards net zero and delivering on scotland's really ambitious climate and nature targets I know we've just had um, more documents published, the Scottish Government, in terms of biodiversity strategy, but Scottish Land and Estates is part of the industry-wide climate emergency response group. And I have to say that our collective view as part of that group is is this was a a missed opportunity to, to accelerate the work that needs to be done in terms of decarbonisation and transport and research and development to allow us to kind of continue it, it didn't feel a particularly, I'm trying to think of a better term, but it doesn't feel a, a particularly green programme for government. No, no, I have heard that as well in conversations with, with others across, you know, other stakeholders and, and contacts across the sector. And 
I suppose as well, I mean, we were saying earlier, the devil's in the detail. I mean, within hours of the programme for government statement, I was hearing rumours about whether or not the government was committed to maintaining apprenticeship levels or, you know, funding for, for apprenticeships that, you know, the vital training and, and managing the vital workforce for the, the transition towards net zero. Whether that is true or not, perhaps perhaps unfair to speculate, but I would hope that the government will provide more certainty and clarity because if it is just promising uh, net zero and the journey towards a, a more sustainable Scotland in, in the chamber, but then on the other hand is not funding it and not supporting it and not enabling it, then that's going to be quite concerning. Yeah, and I, I think that certainly, you know, as an industry, it's that move away from empty promises and, and empty headline targets and statements to delivery and certainly highlighting some of the areas where the government has actually been a barrier to delivering its own targets and really interesting to explore some of the housing elements of this because we've got, you know, our members, community landowners, you've got many, many people who really want to build rural housing. Mm-hmm. The issues are to do with planning frameworks, infrastructure, local authorities, and indeed the government's funding schemes. Yeah. So, you know, you can the government can make all the promises it wants in terms of building new houses. They're not the ones building them in reality. And they're acting as a, you know, as, as, a, as a stopper. Now, we've had a meeting this week with the Housing Minister, Paul McLaren, and I, I, I truly believe that he understands that and he's looking to ways to, to address that. Again, it seemed light on housing, I thought, in the programme for government. It did. There was stuff in there that sounded so positive. Just to kind of take a quick glance at it now, it announces further investment of £752 million this year into the affordable housing supply programme to enable the government to support the delivery of affordable homes to meet housing needs and longer-term target of 110,000 affordable homes by 2032. And it also has the caveat that 10% of those will be in rural and island communities. So that sounds positive, but it's not as ever with the Scottish government. And this has been a recurring theme from an SLE point of view. It's the law of unintended consequences. Every time the government does something, it feels like, you know, with the best of intentions, the the unintended consequences are what kind of spoils the policy, what ruins it for them and doesn't get the outcomes that they hope for. I'm thinking of housing, for example. So measures that they brought in, to protect tenants on the face of it if you don't look in context a, a good thing you know we don't you know eviction bans are giving people security in their home and uh, rent freeze which is a, a positive thing because you know low-income people it protects their income that on the face of it with no context sounds like a really positive thing the difficulty in rural areas is provision of of housing in the private rented sector is a it was a low-risk, low-reward activity. It's now a high-risk, low-reward activity. And so many people are withdrawing from the sector. That um, reality is stymieing further investment. It's, it's turning people away from the sector. And what's happening is that a policy that was designed to help tenants in the long term is actually exacerbating housing shortages in communities that are desperately crying out for more housing. So it's that unintended consequences stuff. And they really need to get better at at listening to industry bodies like SLE and, and others because they cannot, you know, it may be unintended consequences, but they can't say it was unforeseen or that they didn't know because they've been warned plenty. I think you're absolutely right. And, and we can do all we can to increase housing supply, but if we're losing 
affordable rented housing because of other legislation, then we'll never, uh, you know, we'll never address the, the, the shortage that we face. Mm-hmm. Simon, you know, let's have a look at what in the programme for government, the, the areas that will impact on our, our members. We knew there was a land reform bill coming. It's kind of behind timetable in terms of kind of what the Butte House Agreement first suggested. We're still expecting that bill to be introduced before the end of this calendar year, so before the end of December in 2023. Yeah. And we've had confirmation that the bill, as well as some of the, well, it says it'll have measures in transparency, which we knew about, other routes to community ownership, again, something we're aware of. And, and it talks about measures to ensure that large-scale land is deliver in the public interest. So a little bit vague. The other element, of course, is that we've had confirmation that there'll be some measures to modernise agricultural holdings. And Scottish Land and Estates has been working with other members of the Tenant Farming Advisory Forum and the Bill team um, on those. So, so again, things that we were aware of. But I suppose the, the big things that we're still waiting for in terms of the detail for land reform bill, we're no closer to, to knowing anything more about that. And I, I think I'm right in saying, I, you know, it was it was a passing mention in the First Minister's announcement. It's, he certainly didn't give it the the kind of emotive language that maybe others in his party seem to attach to land reform. Yeah, absolutely. I noticed that as well. And yeah, very emotive language in the past. It's talked about righting the wrongs of the past and, you know, going looking back centuries and things instead of focusing on on, on the here and now. I think one of the things around the land reform debate, it, it is very emotive in that in the chamber, in the Scottish Parliament. I think the government has perhaps in recent years been a bit confused about what it wants out of land reform. It's kind of taken as an article of faith that land reform is inherently a good thing. But when you ask them, well, why? You get different answers. You get, you know, it's about righting the wrongs of the past, which doesn't really help anybody today. Or it's about the consultation was called land reform in a net zero nation. So it's about achieving net zero. Well, if that's the case, then why are we, you know, in the context of a, a climate emergency, not using the benefit of large land holdings to deliver at scale on things like peatland restoration, uh, woodland creation, deer control, all the things that need to happen for us to, to meet our the land sector to kind of meet its, its goals and, and to go further um, at pace. Land reform, as it's proposed, you know, caps on land holdings at the point of transfer and so on, it all puts barriers up in the way of delivering on the outcomes that they need for net zero. Absolutely. And sort of related to some of the land reform provisions that are coming through, I mentioned ag holdings. We do have a commitment for developing and consulting on proposals to reform crofting law, which probably led to kind of a collective sigh throughout the industry. We we know it's coming. We all want to try and ensure that we have crofting legislation that um, delivers what we want to see in terms of sort of a you know vibrant crofting system. But you know, disentangling the the centuries of, of crofting law and, and and coming up with a new crofting legislation. We know that's not easy, but that's something that Scottish Land Estates is already involved in. There's there's nothing beyond that kind of develop and consult in the proposals, though. So the timescale is not clear in the no, programme of government. No commitments or timing on, on legislation, although we know it will come at some point. But uh, yeah, I mean, I suppose the, the development is that confirmation that there will be a consultation on, on the crofting. Yeah. You mentioned the Agricultural Bill right at the start. So obviously, again, nothing that we didn't know on this. It's just a continuation of 
of the journey to to have a, a new agricultural uh, program so that that's there the, there's a couple of things though that I was quite surprised to see so I was a member of the Women in Agricultural Task Force and we came up with you know a set of recommendations which laid out a, a, a strategy quite a lot of those have been put in place including funding opportunities some really successful funding programs in the back of that so I was a little bit surprised to see a, a, a new commitment to develop a gender strategy for agriculture and fund practical training opportunities for, for women. So it's kind of thinking we, we've done that. So interested to see why it's back in there again, as, as I think probably other members of Women in Ag Task Force are too. Yeah, that that struck me as a bit weird. It was a, almost a kind of case of, you know, reinventing the wheel. Are, are, they, are they not aware or do they want, are they not aware that something already exists? Or do they want to come up with something new that expands upon that with a wider remit? It wasn't totally clear. Hopefully a little bit more will kind of emerge on that. Yeah, keep, keen to do more. Because as I say, I, I do think there's been some really great work delivered in the back of the Women in Ag Task Force. And I'm not just saying totally. that as a task force member. You know, the, the Be Your Best Self programme, um, the, the practical training opportunities that came out of that. So keen to, keen to kind of know more about what that means. There was also a commitment to continue to work with stakeholders. Now, the Scottish Government often talks about co-design. And Scottish land and estates have been really clear that that co-design has to be beyond the, you know, the, the AREOB mm-hmm. and involve other, other organisations such as our, our, ourselves and others who are part of this farming industry wider coalition. Again, it's good, good to see that commitment and hopefully that fits with the First Minister's narrative about Team Scotland and involving lots of voices. Absolutely, yeah. Just in general terms, the government it used to be pretty good actually at doing that kind of, you know, the process of, of designing, co-designing legislation. They used to do it pretty well and they would have, you know, in addition to the formal consultation, the 12-week window, they would have the pre-bill consultation, so sort of informal meetings where they would bring knowledgeable stakeholders, people, who really know their stuff from the industry. So in agriculture, they would have the likes of National Farming Union, Scotland, they would have Scottish Land and Estates and and other organisations as well in this context around the table, early doors for those kind of, those chats to kind of make sure that what they brought forward as a proposal was right before putting it out to the the public. And I'm not just talking about agriculture in this sense, but right across the, the full range of legislation, I think, that's maybe been lost in the last in the last few years. I was involved in lots of those groups, and and just just for people who you know who who aren't quite as close to this as as we are, this, these aren't lobbying meetings. They're, you're not there. You know the, the government's already said we are bringing forward a proposal to do this, and you know you've shared your views, you've you've given you know you've you've tried to influence the thinking, but the government might say we're definitely doing this. You may be for or against it. But from a workable, practical point of view, yeah. what will the impact of this be? Will this work on the ground? What will be any, you know, any unintended consequences? Are we sure about, you know, what this will mean in practice? That isn't happening. And I do think it's, it's, it's leading to some pretty poor legislation. Mm-hmm. And dare I say, it's, it's, it's leading to some of the stuff that we're seeing with short-term lets, the deposit return scheme, and you know other areas of legislation, and and it's a it's a real uh, yeah it's it's a actually it's, it was a retrograde step I think from the Scottish government, and I do think it's coming its direction from ministers I think. Mm-hmm. 
Well, there we go. There's that full circle, you know. So if we're not having those meetings, uh, those early workability meetings, and then we end up with the unintended consequences that we talked about earlier. It's you know. Yeah, and then it becomes very, very emotive, very combative, and yeah. So um, we're hoping that we kind of get back to those fact-based looking at the impact of policy, looking at draft legislation, looking at draft policy and regulations. Simon, before we get into to business, one thing I didn't mention when we were talking about housing was the, the, the heat and buildings bill and looking at, at that kind of area. Again, we were expecting to maybe to see a little bit more about kind of what was coming through in terms of that, but that that's not mentioned as a bill that will be introduced in this within this next um, parliamentary session. No, it wasn't on the list, was it? We've got obviously a lot of concerns about that that requirement, the kind of EPC, energy efficiency, domestic heating kind of overhaul, and how that, the difference between uh, urban housing stock and rural housing stock and particular challenges that we face and how realistic it is to get everything up to to a C or whatever it is when you have old housing stock that requires expensive retrofitting, so many challenges. I don't think we're there yet in terms of bringing forward concrete obligations on people although I appreciate there's clearly it's something we need to do in the context of of reaching net zero targets and so that's yeah. a bit of a concern. Everyone deserves to live in a you know a, a warm comfortable home a safe home we've got members who who want to invest but they want to invest in the right things they want to make sure that what they are doing is in line with government guidance and going with government regulations and it's it's really frustrating that we still haven't seen um, as much detail on that as we wanted. But moving on to, to business and, you know, one of the things that the First Minister said that he wanted to do, uh, supported by Neil Gray, the Cabinet Secretary for the Wellbeing Economy, Fair Work and Energy, was to reset the relationship with business. So we talked a little bit, like there was some very pro-business language, lots of good things we wanted to hear about economic growth. But in terms of the detail, was there anything that kind of jumped out for you, Simon, that was a kind of real step change in terms of that relationship with with business. Well, it was it was the language really that struck me, at, at, you know, at first. And I suppose since then we've also we've received a letter from the first minister, along with other organisations that took part in the the work, which they've called the New Deal for Business. Of course, Scottish Land and Estates. I think you and I both attended meetings SG uh, over the summer, in which we kind of fed into uh, this 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 work stream I guess um, and it's all about at, at the end of it to put it you know the elevator pitch is resetting the relationship with with business and rebuilding trust so it is so it's cutting through so they're doing work and they're uh, asking um, the right people for opinions and views and input that report that was produced off the back of the New Deal for, for business group was published with a full set of recommendations and the first minister has accepted them all is committed to implementing them um, through the programme for government. So it does feel, I don't want to, perhaps saying pleasantly surprised is unfair, but I am pleasantly surprised that they are making overtures towards business and growth and accepting that if you want a high-performing economy, a well-being economy, a sort of healthy, happy, well-off society, you have to have a successful business community. And that has definitely been missing in the last um, few years as a matter of understanding so encouraging I think yeah no I think you're right and there's quite a lot of reference here to, to small businesses as well and mm. I think I suppose it's just our plea is very much that the supportive 
approach extends to land-based businesses. Yeah. Because sometimes the, the Scottish government tends to forget that farms and estates and other land-based businesses are part of the business sector and, and like to kind of pigeonhole us else, elsewhere. There's quite a lot of mention of, of just transition plans, even within that business section. And, and certainly they're, they're there in, in terms of the areas that Mary McCallum covers as, as part of her portfolio. And, you know, although I said that I didn't think this was a particularly green programme for government, there is still that commitment, you know, to continue the journey in some areas. And there, there's mention there of these deliver just transition plans for the built environment, for land use and agriculture. And that's it, though. There's nothing much more there about any detail. Yeah. That goes back to, I suppose, your criticism, uh, Simon, that it's much, much more high level than, we, than we've seen in previous programmes for government. I think that's right. It's very easy to say nice things about climate and nature. Very different thing, completely different thing towards enabling that and working with business and and people involved in natural capital and so on to deliver on all these all these pledges. It's that disjoint in thinking, the rhetoric and the thinking and the intentions, and then the outcomes and the delivery. It's a huge void between them. Yeah, and I think there's still an awful lot of work to do in terms of that delivery and the detail to, um, you know, to address the lack of confidence that the business sector has in the, you know, in the Scottish government. You know, let's be honest that the poll that came out that showed a low level of of trust and confidence from business in um in the Scottish government had to be a factor in terms of a lot of the language that the first minister used. I think, you know, I'm just thinking of a, a very current example of that lack of trust. It's the, the, the short-term let's licensing scheme. We're approaching the 1st of October. Deadline is just a matter of weeks away now. Um, and yet we're hearing some sources saying only one in five eligible businesses have actually ap- applied um, to, to the scheme for a license. That's really concerning. The government's re- uh, kind of rebuttal to that has been, oh, well, they've had plenty of time to sign up. But that's not understanding or recognising the real challenge, which is the breakdown in trust. People don't believe, businesses don't believe that this is a workable or proportionate scheme. They also don't believe, because of that, that it's really going to be imposed upon them. So why invest the time and patience in, in applying for something that they think is just a mess and is not going to happen? That's the reason they've not been applying. It's not because they're obstinate. And I think that the government has so far failed to recognise that. So all this talk about working more with business and uh, engaging and, and and so on, I think this will be a real test. How the government uh, indeed addresses the challenges around the short-term let's licensing scheme, uh, because rural Scotland has some, again, very particular challenges um, compared to urban Scotland. You can see why the policy is desirable in a place like Edinburgh City Centre where accommodation spaces at a premium in rural communities it provides a vital vital service the short-term lights industry so we'll see where that goes and how the, the government addresses that yeah no you're, you're absolutely right and I, I think it's back to you know, rural proofing you know it's a it's a terminology mm-hmm. that gets used all the time but I, I do think there's further work that needs to be done in terms of Scottish government rural proofing of, of their, their policies and yeah you know, the Rural Affairs Committee does a great job on that on that front, but that's only the things that they have in front of them. It's a rural aspect of all the other pieces of legislation that go through all the other committees. Yeah. And Simon, you and I can talk politics 
for hours, but I don't think the listeners want to listen to us. Well, we often do, don't we? I know, I do, for, for hours. But I'm kind of thinking, you know, other things we might just want to highlight to anyone with an interest in rural issues. There was a commitment to explore what more can be done to prevent and manage wildfires. And I think that's a really, really welcome commitment there, working with the Scottish Fire and Rescue Service and indeed, you know, the expertise that, that, um, that the staff and, and owners of, you know, rural estates have on that. So that was really welcome. And continued investment in, in woodland creation and in peatland uh, restoration. So it was really good to see that there, but mm-hmm. it's not new. It's not new and it doesn't recognise the role of, of private investment or, or the, you know, the people on the ground who own the land, manage the land or the, the contractors involved. It, it's very high level. Yeah, there is. I mean, you talk about private investment, which is a good segue because there is sort of buried away in here. A statement says that, you know, they want to encourage responsible private investment in natural capital, which we, we know about. We're seeing formal partnerships looking at how they do this, the Scottish government and others that we're involved in. But they talk about publishing proposals for a market framework that strengthens the responsible private investment principles that were published in 2022, with the hope that that will help Scottish Government meet climate change and biodiversity goals, support communities and align with a just transition. Now, again, we, we knew this was coming. It will be really interesting to see how that develops, because I do think the balance between providing a framework and I suppose a, a climate that encourages private investment, responsible private investment, it's hard sometimes to get that balance right before you go too far with market intervention that actually discourages investment. And I'm really glad to say that, you know, that we're at the, the table on this and um, yeah. making sure that that's understood and providing platform for natural capital investor members on this. But that's going to be a really, really interesting piece of work. And so important. That investment, that private investment is crucial to Scotland meeting its its goals on net zero and on nature restoration. So it's so vital to get this right. Sam, so is there anything else you want to highlight before we kind of bring this to a close? Anything that you think is worthy of a mention? Yep. So we've provided a member information sheet for the benefit of SLE members, and you can download that from the website. So that's there. But always, as ever, the team, myself and the the policy team are very happy to uh, speak to members to to answer any specific questions they might have in any particular policy area, not just in the context of the programme for government statement, but of course on any topical legislation or policy development that's, that's taking place in Scotland. Yeah, as you say, always happy to, to chat on, on any of these topics or again, horizon scanning in terms of any potential sort of political changes. But really enjoyed chatting through the, the programme for government. As I say, you and I can will carry on this conversation off air, but hopefully that's given uh, members and, and listeners um, a flavour of what's in the programme for government that might impact in rural Scotland in the, the years ahead. Absolutely. Thanks very much, SJ. I really enjoyed that. Thanks to Sarah Jane and Simon for joining us. As always, it's great to hear their views and insight on political affairs. In our next episode, we'll hear from the Wildlife Estates Scotland team as they reflect on the recent International Wildlife Estates Congress and welcome Miles Montgomery as new chair of the organisation. I hope you've enjoyed listening to Scotland Matters. If you have any questions, please remember that members of Scottish Land and Estates have access to dedicated support, information and advice over the phone and via email from our policy team. Please feel free to get in touch. 
And if you haven't already subscribed to Scotland Matters on your preferred streaming platform, now is the perfect time to do so. We hope you'll join us again next time. <laughs>